welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. All right, there we go. Okay. Welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us again today. Katie, what's happening in your house on the farm? I think sheep are getting close, right? Do we have well, any lands Arlene, yet? I was 25 minutes late to record this because I haven't been sleeping for shit. And the kids woke up early this morning and I sat down on the couch after I, you know, the kids left and I fed the bottle lambs. And then I sat down on the couch with my cup of coffee to just, you know, scroll Facebook for a minute and get ready to start the day. And the cat came over and climbed in my lap. And, you know, once the, once the cat, and it's the old cat, you know, he got cozy in my lap. And then it was magically an hour and a half later and you were texting me asking if we were going to, you know, record today. I was like, I guess. Whatever. don't pressure me i started um, the day with a nap i st i prefer to start the day with a nap i think part of the issue is that most days i wake up at 2 30 or 3 and i get up and i have you know a couple crackers or something and go to the bathroom and then i you know go back to sleep on the couch for two hours or whatever so my brain is just like programmed now that we get up we do stuff for like half an hour and then we go back to sleep and my brain does not care what time in a specific happens. spot yes on the couch you know i have never gotten up in the middle of the night to eat food oh interesting. that's not a that's not a thing my body needs i guess oh maybe because i eat like right up to the time i go to bed possibly. oh see i, I can't need to work on i can't eat right before bed it gives me acid reflux too badly so i don't know hence the midnight um, snacks Anyway, so you mentioned lambs. Other Does that mean that, that lambing cabbing, has started? Well, no, these are the ones from like a month oh, from ago, before or two right. months ago or whenever that was. Yeah, yeah. But calving, which was not supposed to start for another month according to the calendar, has started. <gasps> the cows didn't so check the calendar. That's a thing. No, useless little creatures. I, you know, I keep hanging the cow. I put one of Marin's calendars right out there for them. Or one of your elder child's calendars we'll <laughs> yeah. edit that out out there for them because it's got cows on it i thought they'd like that but no they still don't check the damn thing lambing is supposed to start end of next week so i'm watching the weather channel because normally a good you know good high pressure front followed by a low pressure front will knock a lot of lambs loose so for anyone who says it's an old wives tale it seems to hold true and it seems like it would be a weird thing to research to be able to prove a science so anyway if anyone has any thoughts on how far ahead they start doing lamb checks ahead of what day they're expected you can let me know i mean this is the benefit of waking up at 3 a.m every day is that i you know during lambing season i just trot out there and check for lambs and then i come in and fall back asleep on the couch so, so you don't have camera that. set up yet then oh i wish i do have our local Computer folks are coming out, I think, next week to like supercharge our computer setup, which won't be hard because right now it's basically like tin cans with strings. So I'll be talking to them about putting a barn cam in because I would desperately love to have one, but mm -hmm. it's just not happening with our current situation. Kids are good. Gym is good. Work is good. Everything else is fine, I guess. Um, the, the girl child did ask me last night, or I guess she told me, I talked her into bed and, you know, she wants me to tell her a story and I told her a story and she fell asleep and, and then she woke back up and she goes, mommy, inside our skin is the red stuff. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, inside the red stuff is our bones. We have bones in our legs. We have bones in our head. We have a bone in our nose. It makes our nose wiggle. And then she tried to wiggle her nose at me, which involved, you know, pushing on it with her finger. She goes, there's no bones in our ears, but there's bones in our teeth. <laughs> 
and then she rolled over and went back to sleep. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that's not your biology the lesson thing that's ever. Yeah, that's the creepiest damn thing that anyone's ever said to me. But okay, how are things in your world, Arlene? Things are pretty good. There's still a lot of snow, considering it's March. I would like to see a little bit less of it, but that's the way it is for now. And at least that means that mud season hasn't started yet. It's still shiny and pretty out there. So we reached another milestone in our house this week. So my daughter, who's 16, passed me height-wise ages ago. And my 14-year-old recently blew past me, and he's now probably a good two inches taller. And last night while we were comparing height, my 11 year old stood up and we're now the same height. So I've only got one person in the house who's shorter than me, the, who's the seven year old and he's very impatient to get taller, but I'm gonna try and, uh, try and keep ahead of him for a while. But it's very, very strange to be starting to, to look up at the people that I'm still telling to pick their socks up off the floor. But that's where we are now farm wise i guess still not a lot to report i mean we're having some calves we're actually going knock on wood going away next week for march break we're leaving a couple days before our march break starts so we have a few cows to calve that will hopefully most of them will will calve before we leave just to leave a little bit less work for the people who are leaving behind we have some amazing employees who are going to look after things while we're away because Two years ago, you know, the 20, year 2020, when no one went anywhere, we had planned to do kind of our first big family March break trip. We were going to go to Florida and do some of the things, not Disney. I don't know if we're Disney people, but we were going to do some other stuff. And so, of course, that got canceled because everything got canceled in 2020. And so we had tentatively thought about Florida for this year, but I'm still a bit shy of crossing borders and all the testing requirements and stuff. A lot of it's starting to go away right now, but at the time we were having to make a commitment. I just wasn't ready to do it. So we're doing a within Canada trip. So that's still pretty exciting. We get to go on a plane. Well, and you ought to be saving your pennies anyway for your Iowa trip, which I'm yes, sure will be coming right. up. So. Although I'm not, I don't think that our Canada trip is any less expensive than Florida. It's probably going to be more actually, but it is what it is. We're getting away. We're realizing we only have two March breaks left because our 16 year old in two years will be off at university, hopefully, and um, won't have the same break as the younger kids anymore. So we felt like this year we have some good employees and you never know if they'll be around from year to year. I mean, hopefully they will, but you can't bet on that. So we thought, let's just go ahead and do it. So we booked some things and I booked a lot of cancellation insurance too. So I guess next week we'll find out if we actually uh, leave the ground or not. It feels like we're just in that phase of you don't really look forward to anything because it's probably not going to happen. But then it's a nice surprise when it does. Yeah, I'm trying to intentionally get more things on our calendar again now that, you know, now that 75% of the family is vaccinated and we've all had COVID. I mean, I, I certainly would not be down for a border crossing right now either because, mm -hmm. you know, if if you go somewhere domestic and you get stuck and you can't fly, generally you can drive home. You know, if you cross large bodies of water or into another country and you can't fly home, you're uh, kind of screwed. So, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, we're starting to talk more about traveling a little. And I did manage to get my husband tickets for a show that he is very, very, very excited about in June. I'm basically never going to get him another gift because I will never get the same reaction that I did to this one. So one of his favorite bands has reunited after a, a two-year hiatus that nobody thought they were coming back from, but the lead singer has gotten sober and is ready to hit the road again. And so we're going to see them and it's like six hours away, which is a little ridiculous, but he's very excited. So we'll make a, a long weekend of it. And What's their name? It's the Turnpike Troubadours, and they're playing with Steve Earle and the old 97s. Steve Earle is the musician who did Guitar Town and Copperhead Road are two of his most famous songs. Um, mm -hmm. So Red Dirt, Americana Music, and the show is down by Omaha, but we'll leave the kids home. And it's our 10th anniversary of our first date next month and our Ooh. ninth wedding anniversary the month after that. So it seemed like it might be timed, actually go somewhere together you know, I, that's a good idea we haven't 
haven't really gone anywhere in a long time. So, especially without kids, that's a whole. Yeah, especially <laughs> without kids, um, whole other level. Yep, yep. So it just even the drive seems relaxing when you leave the house without children. It's like, yeah. oh, look at that. We're just looking around, and well, no, no one's talking in... to us or asking us when we're going to get there or complaining from the back seat or asking for snacks. And if you want a snack, you can just stop and get one. They've started asking where we're going. If we ever take a different route home, it's where are we going? Where This isn't the way. This isn't the way. Where are we going? Child, one of us can drive and it's not you. So <laughs> I'll get you home. Don't worry. No, I thought it would be fun to just drive around for a couple hours aimlessly within 10 miles of our house. Wouldn't that be swell? <laughs> I, you know, and it'll be in June, which is nice because you don't have to worry about, you know, lizards getting you stuck places and mm -hmm. things of that nature. For a second, I thought you said lizards, and I was thinking that that wasn't a Midwest thing, but blizzards, I gotcha. I haven't gotten stuck anywhere by lizards in a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's not a thing. Well, not here. I'm sure yeah, for yeah, exactly. our not alligator hunting listeners, it <laughs> might be a more realistic problem. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, other than that, nothing going on here. Just, All right. We are deeply into mud season in Iowa. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that the the boy child is very enthusiastic about this situation. Also, if any of our listeners have suggestions about kids' jeans that are perhaps double layered in the knees, my children, I think, are averaging three ripped out knees a week right now. That's and impressive. I, yeah, I know. And that's at school. I don't know what the hell they're doing, but I don't know. I know that Target's Cat and Jack brand, I want to say, is guaranteed for a year, but our closest Target is also an hour and a half away. So the process of taking them back in and keeping track of a receipt for a year just seems like a pain in the ass. And yes, I'm patching all these pants, but I'd rather not have to. It's it's not fun. So yeah, you know, because it has to be done by hand. They're too small to put through the sewing machine. So yeah, those little skinny kid legs don't yeah. really work very well. Yeah, I feel like maybe they need. Like, I should see if the baby Carhartts have doubled knees. Maybe I'll just put straight up knee pads on my kids and be done with it. There, yeah, yeah that's an option too. Oh, leg warmers. That's a thought. Just make them wear leg warmers every day over their pants. They won't hate me at all for that, Arlene. <laughs> that's a great idea. They look like dancers. Oh, and the boy child would be so cute. <laughs> I did. He's very obsessed with sunflowers right now with for chopping, not for any aesthetic purposes. So I made him a, a t-shirt yesterday with my cricket, you know, made him a sunflower t-shirt and he wore it today but last night when i showed it to him he goes oh that awesome mommy that's great it is kid i'm glad to be appreciated by my three-year-old for making him a sunflower t-shirt but you got to take the wins where you can exactly you know. all right do we have anything else no i think we're good on to the guest So today we are lucky enough to be talking to Elaine Fraze, joining us from Manitoba, Canada. Elaine is a farm family coach, a public speaker, farmer, parent, grandparent, and is also the author of several books, including Building Your Farm Legacy, Tools to Empower Family, Do the, Do the Tough Things Right, How to Prevent Communication Disasters in Family Business, and several others. So Elaine, we start each of our interviews with the same question as a way to introduce yourself to our listeners. We ask, what are you growing? So this can cover crops and families, businesses and all manner of other things. So Elaine, tell us, what are you growing? On the coaching side, I am growing family harmony through understanding so that the families that work with me can keep moving forward with their legacy and be rich in relationship. In my family, I have a son and daughter-in-law with three beautiful grandchildren who live right next door across the shelter belt. We're farming with my husband, Wes, and I on a 5,000 acre seed farm. And my son is the director of the certified seed business. And most of all, I think, Arlene, I'm growing a sense of hope for families that I work with and just a way to change some mindsets in agriculture so that we all can have the life we've always wanted. 
Sorry, I had myself muted because the three-year-old's watching farm videos out here. So, Elaine, you've worked with many farm families over the years, and on your website you talk about the TLC model for farm transition. Can you give us an outline of what that model is and how it works? Well, I think when people think of the acronym TLC, it's tender loving care. And, and that's what I want farm families to think about in terms of the family circle. So is, as a business coach, we talk about the three circle model and it would be family and it would be management and it would be ownership. And so what my model is working towards is to help families look at their own family map and pay attention to how old they are, which is the transition piece. And so you're no longer 21, you're actually waking up this morning and you're 64, how did that happen? So the transition piece is the T is for transition. The L is for legacy is because most of the families I work with, the farmers are not retiring and they do want to see success passed on to the next generation, but they're very confused and conflicted as to how that's gonna happen. And it is a journey. And I have a map that I provide for them through this process. And then the C stands for communication and conflict resolution. And that's kind of my superpower is to help families understand better language for resolving conflict, knowing what their strong behaviors are in terms of being able to express emotion and, and create solutions and reach out to each other. And then also embrace the fact that conflict resolution in a farm is a really good business risk management strategy. So I want the families that I work with to be unstoppable and to be able to meet together and to be able to resolve their communication and conflict bumps so that they can have that transition of the farm or the ranch to the next generation. So Elaine, I'm a, a big fan of yours and I've been listening to you on the Impact Farming podcast and, and other shows you've been on as well as accessing some of the videos and blogs. And I know you have a lot of expertise that our listeners would benefit from. And today, what our hope is, is that we can focus in on who are who we feel our target audience is, which is parents of younger children up to teenagers. And I feel like there's a lot of resources out there. And you talk about it a lot for, you know, the, the older generation and maybe people of our age and that transition between those two. But what I'm hoping to have a conversation about is how do we say, say the, you know, say maybe we're a first generation farmer or the transition's already happened, everything's perfect, but how do we set up things today so that our kids, you know, have the foundation and we have the right conversations now so that that, that transition can happen successfully and well and that we're communicating when they're young so that these things aren't so difficult when they're older. So the word picture I'd like to give the listeners, Arlene, is planting seeds of encouragement at whatever age and stage you're at. So let's just take my own family. My son's 33. My daughter-in-law just turned 30. In their house, there's a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. It's a really busy house. And I'm a home economist by degree. And so even back, way back in 1987, before many, before my son was born, I was asked to write about balance living in a complex world and balance is maybe not the right word for 2022. Maybe the better word is resilience and the ability to adapt and be in flow. And so for young families, I think it comes down to culture beating strategy and culture is the glue that holds the family together and the farm together. And that would be three key words, what you believe to be true, how you behave with each other and how you make decisions. So for the young women listening who are, you know, wearing six different role hats there, many of them have off farm jobs, many of them are raising young children, now many of them are forced to be homeschooling, there's a lot of stuff on their plate. And I guess my curiosity would be is, what is, what are you doing for self care, first of all, in your personal role to keep yourself strong and resilient. And for me, that's good sleep, good nutrition, and learning how to go no, 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 no not at this time and not, not trying to be super mom. I mean, my mom gave me, there, there is a book called Superwoman, and I burned it because that's just, <laughs> that's just not, my mom gave me that book. And I said, why are you giving me this book? This is horrible. But it's the whole idea in, as a Hudson train coach, we have this role map and any of the listeners can ask me for it, but it's, how are you taking care of yourself first? Then secondly, how are you taking care of the couple relationship? What do you, what's the rallying cry for the family? And right now, the rallying cry for many families is just to take care of the basics, good food, and nutrition, rest, staying healthy, staying safe, and having good social interaction with whoever you can. But 
also not giving yourself unrealistic expectations. And again, in our farm, we've outsourced the bookkeeping. So where is it written that just because you're the female spouse of the younger generation, that you're the one that's supposed to do the books? Where is that written? And, and I have never done the books and never will. I started writing columns 27 years ago, and my writing fees will pay for any bookkeeper. And that was a, a beautiful exchange of energy and time and skill and resources. So I, I want people to think about what do they believe do they believe they have to do it all? That's that's just not going to work. Secondly, do they believe that they don't have a voice? And so my book, Farming's In-Law Factor, talks about every voice counts. And so I'm meeting daughter-in-laws who are in tears because they don't feel respected. They don't feel like they have a voice at a table. And I say to them, have you asked? Because another saying I have is love does not read minds. And so if you are not getting the behavior that is respectful, then what are you doing to ask for better behavior? And why are you enabling or continuing to accept bad behavior? And the example I give is I have a young woman right now who's farming and she owns 25% of the company, but she's not happy. And so I did conflict profiles on this family. And wouldn't you know, her conflict file is the worst for being triggered, for being angry, for being hostile. So she has to take personal responsibility for her behavior. And I always say, Elaine Fraze can only fix Elaine Fraze. I can't change anybody else. But what I want your listeners to hear is, what is the language that you're using? Are you saying, I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed? That might be something you think is important for me to do on the farm, but I cannot manage that right now. What are the other solutions that we have to make this work? You know, yesterday was a snowy day on our farm. I watched my former employee get stuck with the snowblow tractor as he slid off the road. And I was caring for grandchildren and there's phones ringing. And you just, you just have to say, okay, I can focus on this and I'll execute this, but I can't, I can't take on more. And then the, the next piece is decision-making. And I come from a strong family of women. Our farm is matriarchal, Arlene. So it came through my husband's mother. And my husband's mother was treated terribly as a young woman. And so she made very sure that her daughters were well-educated and her son was well-educated. And, and she also made sure that decisions were made collaboratively. So my transition plan with my, my in-laws was fantastic because it was everybody came to the table and talked and boom, it got done. But if you're living in a situation right now where your decision-making is autocratic and you don't have a say, then I, my question for you is, what are you going to shift to make sure you have a voice at that table? Because again, that glue to review is what you believe to be true. How are you behaving with each other and to yourself? And how are you making decisions? And just give your head a shake about, you know what? I need a different mindset. And maybe you need to go for counseling or reach out to your emotional support group beyond the farm family to help fill your emotional bank account again. And what I'm finding in my practice too, Arlene, is that more and more men farming are seeking therapy. I just did my first family meeting last week with the family plus the therapist. It was amazing. It, yeah, that's wonderful that we're getting, getting to that place where... I mean, we've seems like we've been talking about mental health for a long time, but but seeing seeing that actually come to fruition and, and what that looks like, you know, on the day to day basis is huge. So when you talk about decision making, I'm thinking of you know my my kids are a, a bit older than your grandkids. I have from seven to, seven to sixteen. We're trying to incorporate our kids into decision making at times and then there are other times where you know their input maybe they don't have the the skills or, or the knowledge necessarily but how do you facilitate discussions with younger kids and incorporate them into the farm but also you know let them know that every you know we're not just going to buy a robot <laughs> to milk the cows you know those, those types of things that aren't aren't as easy as that looks cool you know the, ne the next new toy is, uh, is not always is not always going to be the thing that we're going to be able to do. Well, there's, there's two questions there. One is how do you teach your kids financial values? And secondly, how do you get them excited about agriculture? And I think I remember a long time ago in Country Guide magazine, we did an article called Toddler Succession. 
because your attitudes around money and around agriculture start at the kitchen table at four years old at a very young age. So I would, I would work hard to have shared family meals at supper time. So there can be those robust discussions and, and you can ask questions like, so what did you, what was the most interesting thing you found out today? Or, you know, with all the ag publications and things, social media coming across the screen too, there's lots of opportunity to have amazing conversations about what is happening in agriculture. But I remember in our, our town, they have this newspaper thing at Christmas time where they asked the grade threes, what do you want from Santa for Christmas? And the little boy said he, he wanted higher barley prices. And I'm going... <laughs> And I'm thinking, oh, you can tell what's going on at that kitchen table in that house, right? And there's a lot of worry and anxiety about barley prices. And the kid is like eight years old. So I I think, again, as a coach, we use this word, come from curiosity. So I'm just curious. And, and I had this conversation with my grandchildren. You know, I'm just curious, Penny, what do you want to do when you get older? And it keeps changing. And my little three-year-old granddaughter, she wants to be a lifeguard. And I, and then I said to them yesterday, I said, well, who's going to be the agrologist? Who's going to help daddy check the fields? And, and, uh, and, and then the other one said, well, I think I still want to work for a daycare or something, but planting the seeds of the ideas. And then the money, the money pieces, we always talk about where the debt is, you know, what the operating line's at. And we had a rule at our table that this is confidential. This is something that we want you to understand for the transparency of the finances on the farm, but this doesn't leave our house kind of thing. And, and just, you know, talking about the price of equipment or how much she sold the flax for, and just making money conversations, just a normal part of everyday conversation. And yeah, I'd like a new bike. I get, okay, so you save up half the money and I'll match it and we'll do this together. And there's a really good book, Arlene, by my friend, Bruce Celery, S-E-L-L-E-R-Y. He also has a podcast, but the book is called La La: Why Smart People Do Dumb Things With Their Money. And one of the biggest problems and one of the biggest gifts you can give your family, especially to young children in egg, is what fairness looks like to you. Because finding fairness in farm transition is my most visit, visited video on my YouTube channel. So folks can just go Google finding fairness in farm transition. But my curiosity is where do the values and the conversation around fairness start? It starts in that behavior at home about whether or not people are allowed to walk around with entitled behavior or whether they are told or modeled how to create solutions when there's a disconnect as to what is fair. And for my family, fairness is helping everyone be successful. I have a daughter with um, a disability who cannot work. So her life looks much different from her brothers who's running a multi-million dollar farm. And are both of them happy? Yes. And are they treated fairly? Yes, because everybody knows why certain decisions are made. And again, that's another great communication tip for those young children, like your 16 year old. Why can't I, you know, why can't I come home at two o'clock in the morning? Well, because you're a new driver and you need to be safe and your insurance is going to go up if you have an accident. So you need to be home by 1130 or midnight or whatever. And so the ability to explain why you're making certain decisions, I think will be really good for those kids. <sighs> Elaine, one thing I found really interesting, I was at a conference a few years ago, and they were, one of the families that was presenting has, I want to say, five different households that are supported on the same farm, and one of their big things is that kids start coming to the LLC meetings at birth, and they are expected to present about, you know, every kid has five chickens or one cow or whatever their little thing is, and they are expected to present at that LLC meeting from like five years old on. And I think that's so great because there's so many kids that aren't part of the decision-making or part of the business part of the farm. And so the only business thing they hear is people fighting over crop prices for 20 years at the table. And then they get to be 25, they're out of college. They've been you know, shown all these other opportunities. And then we're saying, well, aren't you coming home? And I mean, why would they? That's not a real winning proposition. And so I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts are on how we can really engage the kids in the business aspect of things in a positive way and to make that really something interesting and growth minded for them. 
Well, that reminds me of my story of growing corn with my son Ian, where we made $600 one summer, had a nice seed plot patch behind at the one side of the farm and, and grew all this corn. And I think we made $600, but I think I did a lot of the work (laughs) weeding, but developing that entrepreneurial uh, spirit is, you know, there's, it's harder and harder with bigger equipment and all those kinds of things and safety on the farms. You have to get really creative on how kids can do that. But for our children, it's actually teaching them at a young age how to answer the two-way radio or how to how to um, talk on the phone, and we—that's something that we did with our kids in term, you know, when we still had landlines. Now, of course, we're all using our cell phones. But the other piece of what you said was the governance, bringing the children to the family business meetings as a babe in arms, and also explaining their chicken enterprise and those kinds of things. And for the listeners, I would really encourage you to go to Whitman W I T T M A N Consulting And that's Dick Whitman, who's a personal friend of mine, a wonderful guy in his 70s now, who's just transferred the CEO of his 20,000-acre farm in Idaho to his daughter. But he is the chair of the governance board, and he still has a role in governance and that decision-making. And he has tons, just absolute tons of tools for in his farm management binder, which I think everybody should have. Back to the kids in entrepreneurship. Again, it's that celebration of what worked well. And so for us, it's visits to the tailgate for meals to the field. I actually follow a little bit to Dave Ramsey and his Financial Peace University. And I've started the four-year-old granddaughter on spend, save and give jars. And uh, anything that, you know, talking about what you would like to do and and what's happened actually with the corn story is my son now plants a row of corn with a core planter that's that's sweet corn. And we, in the first part of COVID in, in September, long weekend of 2020, the town of Boisevain, which is only a few miles down the road from us, we said, hey guys, there's sweet corn for you out there and it's free. And so part of how we do business is also not that there has to be necessarily exchange of money, but the gift was free sweet corn to people who in their, were in their first summer of COVID. And, and we got all these amazing responses back from families like, thank you so much. My kids had not, no idea where corn came from. And thank you for not charging us. And uh, just thank you for giving us something happy to look forward to. And so that, again, is another teaching that those kids have, right, to be able to experience giving back to the community without attaching a dollar value to it. And again, like those t- those table discussions that we talked about, I really like what you said, Caitlin, about those governance meetings, because Dr. Cole's research from Virginia Tech in 1997 found over 400 farms over six states that the families that actually had formalized governance family business meetings were 21% more profitable. So just look at that. And what that means is they have an agenda. They focus on operations, possibly. Maybe they focus on strategy and the transition plan. Or maybe they have what's called a family council. And they just say, hey, man, this COVID thing's been really tough. What do we want to do for fun that we can do as a family? And so they're they're still paying attention to not only just the management and the ownership circle of the business, they're also really honing in on the family circle. And I remember this family I met with in High River, Alberta, that once a year, they would book a hotel room in High River with a water slide and a pool, and they would celebrate the farm. So there's more research by Dr. Nikki Girard, who studied farm families in Canada and Saskatchewan, and her research was called What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger, which is maybe not the greatest title, but The three things that she discovered was the families that have the ability to bounce back during these stressful times are the ones that celebrate. They go to a water slide, they go to the pool, or they go camping, or they build us like right now we have so much snow here, we have amazing sliding hills. So the kids are out sliding if it's decent weather. So they celebrate. The next thing they do is they connect with community, which this at this time and season of the great pause is what I call it. It's harder to do, but it can still be done. You can actually use your phone as a phone (laughs) and call people and not just scroll through their Instagram accounts and a little side judgment there, but I'm just no judgment, just an observation. But the third thing you can do is you can communicate and you can say, this is working for me. This isn't. And one of the best questions I can say to my daughter-in-law is you look really tired. How can I help? 
And secondly is, is something wrong? What would you like me to do differently? And there's times that I'll take my laptop over to her house and open my Google calendar. And I say, okay, let's block some time for you. And I have the kids at my house and she has time to go to the bank by herself. <laughs> as a, as a daughter-in-law, I really want to thank you for being proactive in offering the help too, because, you know, we farm with my in-laws, they live across the road and they are tremendously helpful, wonderful people that I have a great relationship with, but I still don't feel real okay about saying, you know, can you just get these kids the hell out of here? Like, just take them somewhere else, you know, and it's, it's really nice to think about how we can be proactively helpful for each other instead of, you know, saying, well, I would have helped if I had known what you needed. Like, well, well, and you see, that's where this phrase love does not read minds is so powerful because I'm a little bit Irish by my DNA. And I'll say to people, well, if you don't like what's going on, why haven't you changed it? And they said, well, I can't. I said, who's telling you that story? I'm a big fan of Brene Brown when she talks about what is the story you're telling yourself. And another, another Brownism that she uses is being clear is kind. So you're overwhelmed. You're exhausted. You're a young mom. You need help. It's okay to ask for help. But I also caution young women about, about comparison being a joy stealer. Because the Instagram life or the Facebook fine portrayal of what's going on, I think one of the healthiest mental health thing that young women can do is put their phone down for two days or don't, like, I don't answer my phone. I don't look at my phone quite often on Saturday or Sunday. And I've had to tell my daughter-in-law, if you need to get a hold of me, call my husband, because I just want to be unplugged. And I'm, I can actually function without having my phone within a foot of my body. It's just the most amazing thing. But that's because I'm 65, not 30. I find and I'm concerned. Hmm. Go ahead. I've curated my social media to where I mostly see podcast stuff and pictures of kids and pictures of animals. And I'm really wow. a lot happier that way. You know, that's... Well, and I'd love to know how you do that, Caitlin, to beat the algorithm. I don't. <laughs> I just I'm, don't follow I'm... anybody I don't want to see. Oh, okay. <laughs> just... Yeah. By, cur by curating, you're cleaning up your account so yes. that you don't have negativity feeding into your brain. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, and that's a, that's another decision. There's an old saying: "Garbage in, garbage out." Mm -hmm. And and I'm a depression survivor, as you probably know if you've listened to some of my videos, because quite often every time I speak, and again I'm speaking now, I want people to know that depression is an illness that needs to be treated. And please don't keep it a family secret. Please get help. Yeah, I find especially marrying into another farm family and thinking about what a difference access to mental health care would have made to the the mantras that we hear being repeated in the family about oh. how things are and you know who we are and yeah, how just, we function and that is yeah and there's a lot of unhelpful sayings like oh just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and no that's not healthy go for help talk to your doctor ask for the test that do every doctor has a nine Point tests that very quickly that can determine whether you might even be suffering from a low-grade depression. And there's no shame in taking medication. And for me, in my case, it was electric convulsive therapy, ECTs. I had 23 of them. I spent most of 1984 in a psych ward and people just go, oh, but I've also been healthy for 37 years. So I'm just grateful to be healthy. And, and here's the quote of the day, your health is your wealth. So what are you doing to take care of it? Well, and, I think and even it's... having those conversations with our kids, I know Katie and I have talked about this before and, and letting them know about our family histories and, you know, probably, I mean, statistically, I'm sure most families have people who have mental health struggles. I mean, it comes from both sides of our kids' families for sure. And, and they know that that, that is something that they would be predisposed to. And that's, those are ongoing conversations that we have too. And, and kids also need to have access to resources and medication if they need it and and to to be clear about you know the fact that they're they don't have to suffer that that we need to be able to make sure that they might not know what resources are out there but we can help them access them and I, i'd like to give a shout out to the mental health first aid course it's mhfa.ca 
I just took it in November with a wonderful social worker from Saskatoon, Ashley Breland, and spent the whole day. At, you do two hours of pre-work online first, and then you jump into a Zoom call day. And it, it's very good. And just to know the need for that, uh, when I put it out on my, my Farm Family Coach Insights letter a couple of weeks ago, I got a 40% open rate and 250 people watched the video. So I think everybody is looking for resources to help make this journey and navigate the bumps. And one of the greatest learning is we all go through mental health storms and some people have to cope with mental health disorders. So, you know, just being able to talk about it and help listen and walk alongside is very, very powerful. So for the young moms, Arlene, that you want this podcast to land with, I want them to know that they're not alone and that they need to reach out for emotional support. And in many cases, that might be a mental health worker in their community, or it might be an older friend. And I now am mentoring women who are going into college and I'm very happy to do that. And all they have to do is ask. And, and again, there's that theme, right? You do not have because you do not ask. So keep looking until you get a solution. I know for myself as someone who sees a therapist on a regular basis, I've realized that especially with the pandemic. One of the nicest parts is feeling like I have somewhere to dump my things out that I'm not adding to someone else's. Because, you know, if I connect with a friend, most of my friends have little kids. A lot of my friends farm. It's the pandemic. Like, they don't have any space to take the stuff I need to dump out. And it's tremendously helpful, especially when you're paying someone you know, it is literally their job to listen to you. <laughs> like, it's great because you don't have to feel bad. You don't, you know, I always feel awkward when I ask her how she's doing. And she's like, well, we're, we're actually here to talk about you. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> Iowa nice. Like, you're, trying you're, to just build, you're just trying to build my problems. With your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things that's been most helpful for my husband and I, we went to a retreat. Ugh. A lot of years ago now, I think I was actually pregnant with the one who's about to turn four. And one of the exercises we did was to really determine what our, like, our highest priority was. And so, you know, I think it's easy to say, well, the highest priority is for the farm to make money. Is that really the highest priority? Is the highest priority for the farm to stay in a family? For us, it's not. That's the secondary priority. For us, the highest priority is that the family stays together because I know so many families that have just been shredded by farm conflicts. And so they really, think that's normal. Sorry, Kate. They think yeah, that's normal. Getting to the, to the heart of what is really the highest priority has made it so much easier to look at our other decisions, you know, and who takes over the farm if our kids don't want to, what is our, our process there. But with that, what are some things that we should be, considering if the next generation doesn't want to do this. I mean, especially now that, you know, my husband's grandparents, when they started this farm had, or his great grandparents, sorry, had 12 kids. So they had 12 chances for somebody to take over. We have spread out the risk. Yeah. <laughs> with, with two kids, it's a lot more concentrated. So I'm wondering what your advice is on how we separate you know our dreams for what will happen from the reality of what's happening so a couple of things i'm thinking is uh, john ortberg wrote a book called the life you've always wanted and a lot of families i coach kate don't know what they want so it was really good that you went to that retreat with your husband and you sifted and sorted what both of you really want and what's really important that as a couple, you want the same things, because if you and your husband are disconnected, nothing is going to shift. So I, I start with values. And, and again, it's the culture that's the glue. What do you believe to be true? And what's your highest value? And I'm like you, my highest value is to be rich in relationship and have a healthy family. And I have a hashtag, hashtag healing stories, number four, ag, because all of this um, fragmentation or, you know, bombardment and blowups and things that we've heard, does that motivate people to make things better? Not usually. 
And Patrick Lencioni wrote a book called The Frantic Family. And he talks about what's your rallying cry just for the next three months. Like chunk it down into small workable bits. What is the most important thing? What's the priority, the rallying cry for your family circle for the next three months? And for me, it's celebrating my husband's 65th birthday and hopefully going somewhere on a plane to maybe be with some of his friends, maybe or maybe not to your country, Kate, to somewhere hot, depending on how, you know, where things are at at that particular time. And when my son was young, my rallying cry was to teach him how to be a great cook. And my daughter-in-law actually thanked me for the way I raised our son, because he said, you know, she said he, he has man and, and just other things like, like profanity, like we have zero tolerance in our family circle for, for profanity and just the way we behave. So the other thing is how you want to be cared for. So the thing that I talk about sometimes is called the caring list. So everyone listening to this, get a piece of paper and write the number one to 12. This will be your warm up for Valentine's Day. You do it, Arlene, and then you do it. Your husband does it. You each do your sheet separately, the ways you like to feel cared for. And then after you write on your sheets, you show each other the answers and you'll be surprised because now you're starting to get clarity about what fills people's emotional bank account and how they feel cared for and what and what they want to do to move ahead. Another, another tool I use is Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. I have a new sign that I bought at Hobby Lobby last week when I was in North Dakota, because I love Hobby Lobby, because we can't, we don't have it here. So here's my sign. I trust the next chapter because I know the author. And so that's the other thing around where do you get a sense of hope? Because Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so when you look at your neighbors or you look at great granddad and your question was, Elaine, what if there's no successor from our lineage for this farm to be the fourth generation? That's fine. Where is it written that the farm has to go to seven generations? Because I do have people with grandfather's voice nattering, beaking at them, I think is the term now, on their shoulder. It has to be done. It has to be this way. No, the farm is not a monster. The farm is a business and the farm provides legacy and lifestyle. But what the farm does not do is it does not fill someone's emotional tank if they're not wired or want or skilled or passionate about agriculture. So let the people go and bless them and say, that's great that you want to be a mechanical engineer, Charlie or Jane, that you're going to go be a vet and do something ag related, but not actually on this farm. So the, the phrase is, where is it written? And that comes from the book by Susan Forward called Emotional Blackmail. But what we have in agriculture, Kate, is we have these, these carrots. Someday this will be yours. Just trust me. No, that's a lie. That's a big, big lie. A conversation is not a contract, which is what my friend Jolene Brown says. And so just getting clear about you and I don't want the same things. Different is not wrong. It's just different. So I'm going to go and get a degree or get a trade and do something of the work of my hands because that's what I want to do. And this farm can be rented out to the neighbor or leased out to the neighbor and we can all enjoy income from the, the resources and the bounty that great granddad started. But it doesn't have to continue as us being the next generation. And there's a, another website you can go to called successionmatching.com. That was started by a very smart woman from Saskatchewan named Allison Anderson. And she matches small businesses all around North America. Because when I spoke in bigger Saskatchewan, a third of my audience did not have a successor. And I told them, I said, guys, you should all be wearing orange t-shirts so that at the break, everybody can come up to you and offer to be your joint venture partner. And everybody laughed. But that's the new reality in agriculture, Kate, is that if you don't have a successor, you're not hooped. There's lots of people that would like to be in business with you or work out some kind of joint venture arrangement. Well, and I think it's such a good thing to remember that the phrase, someday all this will be yours, should be a promise and not a threat. Because yes. if your kid hears that and goes, oh, shit, you know, <sighs> that's, that's bad. That's, you don't want your kid to hear that as a, as a negative, you know, someday this mess is going to be yours. So, and here's another, I want you to finish this line, Kate. 
no matter what I do on this farm, it's never enough. How did you know the answer? You and I have just met today. How did you know that that was the answer? Come on. I said that to an audience of 200 people in Langenberg, Saskatchewan. And I said, here's the culture you're living under. No matter what I do on this farm, it's never. And I get goosebumps when I say that, because why is everybody buying into that? Well, and it's like I, I work for a software company, you know, remotely. So for our area, I make a very good income and trying to explain to people that making a very good income just means being able to pay for farm improvements a little bit faster. It doesn't mean going to the Bahamas. It doesn't mean, you know, driving a brand new car. It means maybe we'll put fence in, you know? Um, and, and yeah, and Kate, let's just land on that for a second for the young women that are listening that are exhausted with their off-farm jobs. I want everyone listening to this podcast to say thank you to the women who have given so much to the family living line of their farms. Because if you listen to the Farm Credit Podcast, a really good one is called Two Economists and a Lender. Everyone should jump on that one because it talks about family living in the States and it can be anywhere from 70,000 to north of 120K US. And in Canada, I think the number is around 75 grand. A, a, a decent income for a family to live at a decent rate I've got young farmers who are trying to get by on 30 grand a year. And I said, are you kidding me? You are not being compensated well enough. And, and again, they're feeling it's not enough because it isn't enough. But the women who are in your position, making a good income and me being a coach, being a writer, being a professional speaker, I have a fabulous income, but I work hundred hour weeks because I choose to, or I take Fridays off now that I'm older to be with grandchildren. But regardless my husband is very clear that for many years he is not drawn personally from the farm because his wife has provided that. And did anyone ever say thank you? I think too that's sort of the the last part of women really being integrated into the farm business is the understanding that we can support the family and that is fine and we are happy to do it but you better acknowledge the fact that we are. I have a friend who works, you know, a very demanding off-farm job and was talking to her sister-in-law, her husband's sister the other day, and she said something about, you know, you see that new grain leg, I paid for that. And the sister-in-law was like, but it's part of the farm. And she said, no, I paid for that. If we get divorced, I am taking that grain leg. <laughs> like, just stop being so precious about your breadwinner testosterone fueled whatever and just let us be part of the business let us be part of providing for our family and just deal with it but also just be open and acknowledge the fact that we're paying for those grain legs and we're paying for that fence and i think that also highlights what elaine was talking about in terms of being open about finances we have to be honest with ourselves and with our kids and with anyone who's involved in our farms about where the money's actually coming from and who is being supported by what funds right i mean we we can all you know kid ourselves into thinking that the farm is the the pinnacle of, of family life and you know that this is where all the resources need to go but if if all the financial resources are going in and the financial resources are not coming out of that enterprise then maybe we need to be more realistic about you know the hours that are spent on the farm you know like you said they are businesses we we have to be realistic about you know the the history and the passion and the enthusiasm for agriculture can't be the be all and end all because that'll take you down a path that, that doesn't serve anybody if if it can't support financially can't support the family or can't support the the number the time you're putting into it it also has ramifications arlene for your future and i have a little um diagram that i'll show you that that I, I drew yesterday and the side is one side of the ledger is farm and the other side is personal with the bubble. And my friend Merle Good calls it your personal wealth bubble. And I'm finding lots of 60 plus farmers who've churned everything back into the farm but have never 
never paid attention to the personal side, which is foolish, absolutely foolish. The other thing that's foolish is that farmers are not engaging financial planners because I tell all my clients, I know how much money I'll have when I'm 102. And they go, Elaine, how do you know that? I said, because I have a financial planner. And, and the other problem, of course, that the other bull in the middle of the room, and I have my little talking stick here, the big bull is the value of land in Iowa and the value of land in Ontario and the value of land in Manitoba, where all three of us come from. And we know what the balance sheet looks like on the farm and what that stirs up in terms of greed and entitlement. But if that land is never going to be sold and it is going to be passed on and rolled to the next generation, it becomes a bit of a non-issue. Although the non-farm heirs don't think it's not an issue because they want the gold because they were part of this farm. And then again, I say, where is it written that a farm is a piece of pie that you chop up into four equal pieces because you have four children and you have an old school across the pond culture that says the boys get the land and the girls get the cash. No, this is 2022. And the more we can be open around, like you said, Arlene, around that financial transparency, I'm a home economist by degree. So I am wired to help people solve problems and be clear around their quality of life, which is usually fueled by a positive cash flow. I think Katie and I are both just here nodding. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. can't see it on a podcast, but that's what we're doing. You can probably hear our brains rattling. Back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I want to be conscious of Elaine's time, Katie. Oh, so yeah. I'm going to move down our script to some of our last couple of questions. So Elaine, tell us if someone thinks their family would benefit from the services of, far, of a farm coach, how do they find one or how do they find you? And what other experts should they be talking to a financial planner, obviously, but if you're thinking about transition planning or, or the type of work that you do, who do people need to, to look up and who should they be asking for help? Well, my, my tagline is I help farm families find harmony through understanding. So what do you understand to be true about what mom and dad want and what, what you as successors want and your children want? And, and we're talking three generations here, Arlene, because some of my clients are grandfather, grandma, founder, parents, and kids, and then even little kids, right? So how people find us is at farmfamilycoach.com and fill in our contact page. And then we'll set up a, a complimentary discovery call to see what you actually need. And coaching, I always say counseling is about recovery. Coaching is about discovery. So if you need therapy for trauma or, or fragmented family relationships and stuff, then you should be reaching out for counseling and a therapist. Everybody on this call should know how to access a mental health worker. And again, take care of their own mental health. And I want to send everyone to the doctor because I know a lot of men listening to this podcast only go when they get their semis or semi medical checks, you know, to say that they can still keep driving with their class one license. So taking care of your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual health, your emotional health, it's all a bundle. The other thing is we talked about a financial planner. So just take a look at your credit union or bank statements from 2021. What went out, went, went in, and you should have a fairly good idea of what you spend on family living. And then what's your, what's your projection for this year? So that's the financial plan piece. Your accountant really loves it when you're organized. So I want you, you can reach out to me and ask for my, because I love you lift. If you just go to farmfamilycoach.com forward slash gift, I have a gift for everyone listening to this podcast. And the Because I Love You list helps you let your, your spouse know where the important things are or what how you could keep the business and the family running if something happened to your spouse. The other thing I'd like you to do is go to lastpass.com. And Kate, this is for you because you're the software expert. Everybody needs to have an aggregator for their passwords because we need to have digital organization as well as paper document organization. And again, discover what it is you need. And I read tons of books, as you can tell, and translate them into farmer language and how that might be helpful. And so just go to farmfamilycoach.com forward slash gift, get started there. And I'd also encourage viewers and listeners to go to Elaine Frey's Farm Family Coach on YouTube. All you have to type in is finding fairness in farm transition, because I suspect that 60% of your listeners 
are lying awake at night because they can't figure out how this is all going to be fair down the road. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> to uh, just drink from a fire hose there, Kate. Sorry about that. Things up a little bit. Yeah. So, Elaine, one of our favorite questions we have for all of our guests is if you were going to dominate a category at the county fair, uh, real or made up, what would it be? And you can make up a category flower just range. to be sure you win. No, no. I know what it would be. It would be flower arranging. Wow. I love, if I was not a farm family coach, I would be, I would love to have a flower shop. And behind me, you can see my lavender, which is also from Hobby Lobby, because I just changed it up because I used to have a bouquet of flax, which I'll show you right here that I've just removed. So I love plants and I'm a Jesus follower. So I go to church on Sundays or used to. Now we do a lot of that virtually, but I will make a bouquet from my garden or from my fields and take it to the altar. And that during the service will be sensitive to who I think needs to have a bouquet of flowers and then they will be delivered to them at the end of the service. So at the county fair, I would win flower arranging. I like too that I see you have a print of the gleaners. Yes, that was my form. Yeah. My grandmother had one that hung over the kitchen table, which was Yeah, nice. mine did too. Yeah. And then the other side, Kate, is the beach. And okay. it's it's reflecting the light from my window. But and that's the that's the polarity of agriculture, which is we work and we play. And you said you don't get this holiday to go to the Bahamas or whatever, and you're working so hard. And my challenge to your family is why not? On our farm, we've used all kinds of credit card points to book vacations and go to Hawaii and go. And we also don't work on Sundays, but we don't have livestock. So if you're a grain farmer in Iowa, why are you working on Sundays? Because we do have livestock and we do go on vacations. We'll just never go to the Bahamas. We're just okay. not. It's not our style. Okay. We go to tractor shows. So Okay. Yeah. You go to Big Iron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything orange. Arlene, is it time for cussing and discussing? Sure. So Elaine already told us that she's not into cussing, but that's fine. Our cussing and disgusting section is where we or our listeners have something that they want to discuss, uh, rant about, or it can be the positive stuff too. So they can send us a voice memo or email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com. And Katie, I'm going to ask you first, do you have anything you want to cuss or discuss today? Well, Arlene, I posted Instagram about it, I guess, but I really wish my Fitbit had a setting for chasing cattle through knee deep snow. I really feel <laughs> like that it? should be a workout option. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of our Normandy girls and the bull came up from the pasture yesterday and were just eating up in the driveway, hanging out and then walked <laughs> around behind the barn and through the pasture and back down the other side. So I had to go so with So how many steps do you think that was? The Fitbit doesn't say it was near as many as it felt like. But I'll tell <laughs> yeah, you my... especially, especially when the, when the snow is that deep, right? The, the steps are a lot higher. Yeah, and you know, my boots are full of snow and it's it was 20 below Fahrenheit yesterday. And, you know, they, they don't care. They don't feel bad about it at all. <laughs> no. I no. should send you my flax bag, Kate, so you can put it in the microwave and warm up your legs. <laughs> warm up those toes. To the bone. Yeah. It said, though, as our family motto is probably, if you leave the gate open, you can't blame the cows. So. Was the gate saying, open? I'm not. <laughs> you're just, you're, you're not, you're not casting blame, but no. that is the but, phrase you use. But if you leave the gate open, you can't blame the cows. It's probably a good life motto anyway. Yeah. Elaine, what do you have to discuss or discuss? Well, I I have had my name mentioned a couple of times on Facebook lately under the Canadian Farm Women's Facebook group. And the ranting there, Kate, is all around father-in-law relationships of these daughter-in-laws, which is why I have the book, Farming's In-Law Factor, which is available at my shop on my website. And, and the cover is white eggs with one brown egg. And one woman came up at a seminar and she said, hashtag, I am the brown egg. And so I'm very sad about all of the sadness that people are living in and don't seem to be able to shift. So again, I'm reaching out and I, and I am doing a webinar with a woman from Iowa, actually, who reached out to me and said, Elaine, I'm tired of all this ranting on social media about in-law relationships. What are we going to do about it? And so we're going to do a webinar in um, the beginning of March that will be open to everybody and just deal with farming's in-law factor. 
if you wouldn't mind sending me the information for that, Elaine, yes. that would be great. We'll, we'll put it on our page. Um, yeah. I have to say I have a pretty good relationship with my father-in-law, but we just don't have any common ground. You know, we just don't really have anything to talk about. And that's... It's different colored eggs. Yeah. Makes it hard to, to really build a relationship between us when we don't have anywhere to go with it, I guess. Mm. So. Arlene, what do you have this week? Well, I had something else, but this discussion led me to, I'm going to go on a positive note and say, Elaine talking about being a proactive mother-in-law reminded me of my own. And I know my own sisters have told me that I won the mother-in-law lottery a few times and father-in-law for sure, because I also live across the road from my in-laws. And especially when the, the kids weren't in school, she would ask if she could help and bring meals when she knew that we'd had a long day of, of online schooling. And I do really feel lucky to have in-laws who have both made the tra farm transition easy and and workable and in a way that we feel like was was fair i hope that my husband's siblings feel the same way but are also really great neighbors and friends so i'm lucky in that sense so big uh, trophies go out to my in-laws bouquets bouquets <laughs> yes yeah we'll send them some elaine flowers so I want to thank Elaine for joining us today, and we appreciate your insight and expertise and all the resources that you provided to us. So we will definitely link some of those up. We have a, a private Facebook group where other farm parents, moms and dads can, can hang out and talk to each other and do some ranting, but hopefully also find community. So we'll definitely let them know about all those resources too, as well as on our other social media platforms. And just not to dish everybody on Instagram, I do have an Instagram account and it's Elaine underscore F underscore farm coach. So happy to share a story there if that's the best way to communicate. Perfect. All right. So thank you for listening to another episode of Barnyard Language. Find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language. And on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. Join the private Facebook group to hang out with us and other farm families. We would appreciate it if you would like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast. Leaving a review is a great way to help us reach more listeners. We welcome your submissions for future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest, please get in touch. You can also support the show by becoming a patron on the Barnyard Language Patreon.